What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your backstage pass to the world of live music. Every week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic, big, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, last concerts and everything in the Juicy Centre. This week I'm joined by Hannah Field and Liz Drummond before they went their separate ways in their band Little May. We finally settle the debate of Jonathan Taylor Thomas versus Devon Sawyer, the differences between Britney Spears fans and Christina Aguilera fans, of course, all the juicy bits, and a disastrous cover of Bruce Springsteen. But before we dig into all of that and a chat worth listening to, let's check in with our constant companion here in the TMBTG studios. Hello, Engineer Adam. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am doing so well. I'm most excited, of course, because I get to talk about this week's live yes. show of the week. Before we get into the interview, let let us hear it. It's our favorite feature here at the show. We talk each week about one of the most heart-thumping events that we could find out there in the world and share it with you, our pod people, so you can go and attend and make us proud and share your stories with us. So who do we have this week? Who do we highlight? 
This week we have none other than Sandy Alex G and Tom Berlin at the Union Transfer in Philadelphia on Saturday, November 30th. Ah, so a few days away till the month end of the decade. Ooh, last November of the year. Wow. Last God, November feel, of the year. What you, am I? Can you <laughs> of hear course. that? There's only one November There's every only year. one. Last November of the decade. That's what I meant. Can you hear that sound? That's my wrinkles growing. Oh, no. Deeper into <laughs> crevices. We're excited to talk about that show because Tom Berlin's At Weddings is one of our favorite albums of last year. It's mm-hmm. really evocative and cool. And then Sandy Alex G put out The Excellent House of Sugar this year. So two great albums, one great night. That's going to be a show to remember. And if you want to get in on that excitement or the excitement of any show out there, mm-hmm. you can head to cosradio.lv slash stubhub. That's cosradio.lv slash stubhub and find the best selection of tickets to all of the hottest shows. One more time, that's cosradio.lv slash stubhub. And while you're on StubHub perusing all of their amazing offers and all the different tickets that you can find, we're talking about important things to do while on the internet. So let's talk about how you absolutely need to go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. It is the only way other people find us. Otherwise, we are stuck in the vast expanse of nothingness. <laughs> we are. I know. I like that description, though. But that's sad. Yeah, Why are you but laughing? It's, but it's such an incredible image. I just love the idea of us floating out in space. It that's sounds terrible. Okay, fine. Where are we going? Um, We're going nowhere in space. Jupiter. Okay. Okay. Why Jupiter? It just sounds nice. Okay. So I remember also last week we talked about how if you do leave us a five-star review, wherever you do it, send us an email at thismustbethegig at gmail.com mm-hmm. and We've tell us about so it. so many already. We will send you a personalized album recommendation if you do this. But you have to tell us what snack you enjoy so that, that we can figure caveat. out who you are. Absolutely. that's the only way to figure out that who someone else is. That gets to the heart is. of who someone is. is yeah. What snack do you enjoy? But it's really telling. Absolutely. I have five in my bag. I'm five different people do you know at what one mine given is? time. What? Pretzels. Oh, that's true. So what does that say about me? You're flexible and dry. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> um, so let's focus on this week's interview. Before we get too far into this interview, I wanted to uh, point out that this was recorded uh, back prior to the announcement of the end of Little May. So uh, as they wrote on their Facebook page, it is with heavy hearts that we announce we are moving on from Little May. Although today is a really sad day, we are both excited for the next chapter of our lives. And then both of them in their individual messages mentioned uh, working on new music and new projects. So it's really exciting to know that we've got new music from both Liz and It really Hannah, is. Even if it's not in this context. But I thought this was just such a lovely chat. We wanted to include it as well. So you can follow them on their path wherever they go next. I agree. And also, I feel like both Hannah and Liz just have such a good grasp of themselves and the way that they operate within their musicianship. And I think that that's so important. So either, even though this chat was centered around the duo and the band that they were currently in, I feel like it makes most sense to actually release it now because it's a new start for both of them. And Absolutely. They, it, it was, and Their it's new also, album just came out too, so it's still out exactly. there. It's still a fantastic album that you should go listen to. It also preps you to go listen to uh, whatever they might have next. 
This summer's final album from Little May, Blame My Body, was just spectacular. The harmonies, the intricate songwriting, it's really beautiful. And uh, in this chat, Liz, Hannah and I, uh, of course, we discuss the pizza parlor origins of Little May, their journey in finding confidence as a band, which is so important because confidence stems into self-worth, which stems into self-awareness, which stems into vulnerability. So it's crucial for, for anyone in the creative sphere. Absolutely. First concerts also with Avril Lavigne and Kylie Minogue, and also the experience of working with the Nationals, Aaron Dessner, who we've had on the show, mm-hmm. um, on their debut album, 2015's For The Company, which is also a great album to go to if you want to dig in more. And you can also follow both Liz and uh, Hannah on the internets to see what they're up to. But let us not be delayed. This is me, Liz and Hannah. Enjoy! So I'll just introduce myself first. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, um, I'm Liz from Little Mate. <laughs> what do you What do you do in the band, Liz? I play guitar and sing um, sometimes. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm Hannah. I sing in the band and sing harmonies. Do you feel that you? were always destined to do this? Is this something that has always been in your blood to be in the arts or to be, you know, creative every day and to be a musician? I've always very much felt like I was creative ever since I was young. And I think when I was in high school, I knew um, I'm not going to be very good at anything else other than something (laughs) that's kind of... (laughs) creative and um, a bit all over the shop, if that makes sense. So, yeah, and I always just loved music and I've just grown up really having a real big attachment to it and it has just always meant so much to me and always it's just something that I obsess over, um, whether it's playing playing an instrument or um, like just listening to stuff growing up. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, but I definitely went through a time where I was like not sure what I was going to do. I was like, oh, maybe I should be a journalist or maybe I should work with children. But yeah, um, I definitely knew it was going to be something creative. Do you feel like something about the support that you had in terms of finding the right people to play music with, do you think that lend itself to your path in this? Or do you feel like the option is always still there to diver- to diversify and go down another path. You know what? I actually think I like kind of struggled for a while when I was like a teenager going into my early twenties to actually find the confidence to express myself. And, and I think at school I didn't do music. And so I, I really do think it do- does come down to like being um, a girl at that time. It wasn't very common to play um, to be right. like in a rock band. Um, but, you know, I was lucky that I did find Hannah and um, Annie, who was in the band at the time, and, and, and finding other women to play music with was actually kind of difficult at that time. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I did, it wasn't like an easy thing for me. It was it was kind of a bit bit harder than a lot of people I know who just like grow up in a certain 
group of people and it's like, yes, these are my people. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I was lucky to have found Han and, and Annie at that time. Yeah. And, and, and Hannah, how was it for you? Do you feel like the path was kind of straight or, or kind of all over the place and zigzag? For me, like from a young age, similar to Liz, I was pretty creative. Um, I was always drawn to, you know, dancing and um, drama and things like that. Singing, I loved and I thought I was like really good, but I was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I loved like, you know, participating in musicals at school and things like that. It's just, I just always felt comfortable on the stage um, until I got into my, you know, 20s and then it was terrifying yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah for me finding Liz you know we became friends at 15 and she was into you know we grew up listening to the same music and it's kind of like finding this old soul um and we instead of going to parties we would like sit at home on Friday nights and you know cheekily drink a bottle of wine and write music and and sing covers and things like that so yeah it was just kind of like finding the person who drew that out of me and you know it was it was really nice but so how did you all meet because obviously I think the last time I saw you was in 2016 I think at Splendor in the Grass does that make does that ring a bell or unless I'm just making it up yeah yeah so (laughs) thank you for confirming my brain (laughs) um so how did you wait so you were a three-piece at the time yeah okay so then how did you all meet so Liz and I um, officially met when we were like 12 years old. We were wow. in a netball team, like a rep netball team, <laughs> and it was a selection. And then we were the only two people that didn't get into the next level. Okay. And Liz was like really, really good at sport. And I netball was like my thing. It was my dream. But I'm like five foot. And at the time it was probably like five, four foot, 11 or something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a... Um, it wasn't going to be an easy ride for me and I was like heartbroken and I just remember Liz being there like looking at me like why is this girl so upset (laughs) (laughs) but then we officially became friends when we were in high school we we left our respective schools and came to a another school together not Mm -hmm. not together like as friends we just met there and um sorry I hope that makes sense yeah and then that's how that's how little May kind of started a few years later um, but Liz had gone to school with Annie at the previous school. So it's a bit of a rigmarole, but you kind of understand. I didn't really know Annie until um, Little May formed, really. Listen, I love the use of the word rigmarole, um, i got to say, because <laughs> that I've been waiting for someone to say that word since the show started a year ago. I'm not even joking. I can now tick it off from can my I- list. <laughs> Can I tell you, the other night I made a dish, like a, I was cooking and someone was yeah. like, what have you made, Hannah? And I'm like, oh, it's a bit of a rigmarole. And my boyfriend was like, you can't use you can't that word. For- <laughs> Listen, do you know what that word means? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it mean like, it's a bit of like a, a like a, rigmarole. a mishmash. Like a mishmash. Like yeah. Oh my it God, look at that right. girl. She looks it like such right. a rigmarole. <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely use it like that. Oh, that's I so it was great. Brick Marole. <laughs> well, like Brick Marole, Rick Marole. No, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of that meme when it came out. It's like that. Uh, Rick, is it Rick Astley? Yeah. Rick Marole. Oh, gosh. Anyway. I just Googled it and it says 
the rigmarole okay. is a lengthy and complicated procedure oh, <laughs> okay. or like a long rambling story or statement. So I guess that was a long rambling story. Okay, yeah. But oh, also, so but yeah, to, not, not, for, not for cooking. No, but listen, <laughs> listen, I think you can definitely assign it to cooking because cooking is emotional. You're putting your guts and heart into it. It could definitely be a rigmarole. <laughs> We, I declare yeah. today that it is a, I don't know why I've suddenly gone like 18th century American colonial <laughs> Anyway, okay, so let's go back. So you, then you all met and were you playing instruments or were you part of other bands at the time that you decided to form Little May or was that the kind of catalyst to becoming a musician at the time? It was definitely the start for me. Uh, I definitely hadn't played in any other bands or anything. It was very much at the time like a very new thing for me. So, and I think it was for Hannah as well. Although she said yeah. she, she had been singing for a while and stuff, but uh, for me, it was very. It was like a new thing, and um, exploring that, especially with Han in those earlier years, was yeah. It was kind of like a very. Um, it was the start of of my music journey. Do you remember <laughs> the very first concert that you played together and where was that show? It was at the Green Gate pub in Gordon. Um, it was like an open mic night and um, I think it was just the two of us, Liz. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we ri- we'd written a song called Midnight Hour and it's actually on the EP. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and... And we performed at an open mic night and won. And I just remember like playing the tambourine. Like I couldn't play the tambourine at all. I didn't really understand what the tambourine was supposed to do. Yeah. And I would just like hit it random, like randomly. And I remember like Liz telling me after, she was like, apparently um, you shouldn't just play the tambourine just randomly whenever you feel like it. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. <laughs> but we, but no, she'd, be, she'd been told by a wiser musician. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah. She was just passing me on the news. But yeah, we ended was up. I, or was I just listening? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe you were just like easing the thing. Like, this guy just said that, but who, he doesn't know anything. Um, That's pretty funny. And we won, we won 50. No, we won like a free recording session with the guy that was hosting the open mic night. Okay. Um, which was really really funny. I think what I'm curious about is how you felt going into it because I think all the general things we can tick off the list, right? Fear, anxiety, confusion, all those things that you feel when you're doing something for the first time. But did you try and consider yourselves artists before you went on? Were you how seriously did you take yourselves before that competition? Oh, for me like I loved music, but I was like I shouldn't be playing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was very much like we just loved doing it, but we didn't really think we were like that good. So, but we just wanted yeah. to give it a go. Yeah. Uh, my, um, I remember my feeling was like, if we do this, we can die happy. Like I just, I just remember never believing that we could stand on a stage and perform a song. And even though it was in front of like, you know, 10 kind of drunk guys and, it was like the highlight of my life then. Like I was like, we, we've done it. I, d- I didn't think that we would go any further. At the time, I was a bit of a rat bag. I don't think music was my priority. It was more like 
boys. Maybe that helped though. Yeah, but maybe that helped in a weird way because I sometimes find that, you know, not focusing on something can really bring your attention to the thing almost better than you would have if you were too focused. You know, sometimes if I get too into something, that thing becomes so much bigger and I and I can't concentrate. I can't, I get too stressed. Yeah. So maybe because you didn't think much of that moment or thought a lot about it, but didn't think it would go anywhere. Maybe that helped the confidence side of it a little. I don't know. And Liz, correct me if I'm wrong, but we were at the opposite ends of the spectrum, really. Like, I think music was such a massive, like, beautiful thing for Liz, like a passionate thing. And, and at the time, um, I wasn't there yet. And so I think maybe we had very different experiences. But, yeah, I just remember feeling like we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What turned you? Was there a performance that you did or maybe some advice or support that you got? What made you really think, wow, okay, this is this is definitely something I'm going to, to pursue? For me, what kind of was the turning point to digging in and taking it seriously? I think it was kind of seeing how my nonchalantness was affecting Liz at a time like it was just I think she was like come on get it together or you know maybe maybe not <laughs> I guess like tidied up my life a little bit and prioritized little May um, but it took a while and but yeah I just remember I can't remember the first gig I think it was we played Black Bear Lodge on our first EP tour and we were singing we were playing boardwalks and everyone was singing along and the room was packed and I just felt really emotional and, and got a bit tried to like hold it together on stage but I just thought this is there's nothing that can top this feeling of Liz has written this song that's connected with all these people and that it's bringing them so much joy and it was just really lovely to stand in front of that for the first time and actually feel like okay this is a thing especially when somebody is reciting something back to you I think that people so often don't think about that exchange you know you're there as a fan but when when I, I mean, as a fan, you can't imagine uh, how touching it is for a musician or a performer to look back at the crowd and know that they are connecting on such a level. You know, whether or not they understand where you came from when you wrote the song, whether or not they understand theoretically or technically how you're playing your instruments, um, that connection is kind of palpable, right? It's it's an unbelievable moment, I think. Yeah, I I would say that that feeling is like one that, I will never, like, I when you say that about that first gig, Han, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just can't believe that that happened. It feels like that's happened a, a few times, obviously, and it's just so awesome. And I'm like, I can't believe that we got that opportunity to do that and have people sing back at us and um, still, still do get that opportunity. It's just so wild. And never ever going to feel normal to me. But I think that's really important. <laughs> Humility in this industry is so important. You know, I, I've spoken to a few different Australian artists, you know, over the few years. And it, it, just because it always felt so similar to the South African music industry, you feel so far away, you know, and yet this it's like this little microcosm and this little world that you create you know, in that industry. And, and it just always seems like there's such a strong and supportive community there. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it, you know, sometimes it's healthy, sometimes it's not. But what was it like taking this music to people that you also knew, you know, and also maybe bands that you admired within the scene? How was it like? Do you feel like you were accepted? 
I, I, I mean, I would have to say we were so lucky, especially looking back. Um, we got success quite I mean, when you look at how many musicians there are in Australia and how many musicians there are in the whole world that are just trying to get heard and um, get get as many opportunities as possible, I just think we were so fortunate to be doing what we were doing at a time that was good for that style of music. And mm. I just want to savour those moments for as long as possible because you never know when they're going to go away. Um, but yeah, like I, I must say that we were very fortunate and I would never want to take that for granted. And, and yeah. And it was quite nice, like, because we got attention, um, early on and we were traveling, we traveled overseas pretty soon after, you know, the release of the EP, we went to the great escape and there was just so many Aussie bands there. And it was just like this little family and to experience that when we kind of felt like we were flailing because we didn't really know we hadn't toured much and, you know, we'd just written this album and, you know, created this album and we were overseas for about three months and just being in a community where, you know, you're on the other side of the world, but you're playing shows alongside, you know, like Bad Dreams and Sasquatch and um, Jesse Davidson was there. And it was just, I don't know, I think to be surrounded by those bands and by people who were just so supportive, like it wasn't this competitive thing, which you can kind of create in your head, sometimes when you imagine what it's going to be like and I think you know it hasn't been like that for us um and it was nice it, yeah it was really nice during that stressful time to to get advice from those people and also as you said I think the competition aspect of smaller scenes small I say with big hanging inverted commas over my head but the competition that you kind of create and master up in your mind, it's so difficult to crack that sometimes because the truth is if everybody just worked together, it, it, it becomes so much more human, you know, and you need each other, especially in places that aren't the highlight like America or the UK where it's it's kind of, I won't say it's easy for bands to get off the ground, but there's much more focus on those spaces. Mm. So how come you expected there to be a bit of competition? Was it just because that's, what you think uh, the industry was about or had you, I don't know, met some people along the way who made you think that way? I guess it is real, but like a lot of the doubt or like low confidence, I think it's definitely mind made for me anyway. Um, I, you know, we all, we all battle with our minds and I think it was just not feeling good enough. And also as Liz kind of mentioned, like I didn't study music in school either and I'd never gotten singing lessons and I didn't, and it was just this kind of feeling of being a fraud and being sucked into this, you know, big wide world of music. And in the Australian music scene, because it is so small, you do compare yourself a lot and be like, shit, like, look what they can do. And I, and I think that was, that was a massive thing when I was a bit younger, but now I'm kind of just like very grateful for the fact that I really love writing music and, and I feel okay at it now. Like I, I don't feel like I'm a genius or anything, but at least there's a bit of confidence there where I, I'm lucky not to feel like a competitive nature, but I feel like I just like little may deserve to be where it is. Yeah. Feel proud of the record, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. So did you both find that you were looking to other performers, maybe within the Australian music scene or, or maybe your idols outside of that as not inspiration as such, but just looking at little techniques? Was that ever something that you looked at or even just put focus toward? just the performance aspect of the whole thing. 
the first Australian act I saw when I was probably about 19 that absolutely blew me away. I was at Falls Festival and it was the Preachers and Isabella came on and I hadn't seen anyone like own a stage like that before. She's an Australian front person. This band like seemed like a global, you know, number one band and like I just couldn't believe that they were playing at one o'clock in the afternoon you know at falls and I just little may had just started and I was like holy shit like she is she's owning this like that is incredible yeah no she's she's a holy holy shitter like when you see that band you're like what the hell is happening yeah (laughs) yeah and I just realized the extent of like how far you can push yourself as a, a as a performer in that way um and because I because I kind of I don't play an instrument I I kind of am the front person and I do have to perform in a certain way um and I like that because you know I grew up dancing I grew up and I don't know it's just finding the confidence to not be someone else but to be like a a more like sassy I don't know I know I feel like I'm quite an introvert sometimes and on stage I don't I don't have to be and I can kind of just Put on a little bit of makeup and some sparkles, and yeah. Um, but being on being on tour with the Rubens for over summer was really cool because I had a conversation with Sam, who was like, he's the front front person, and he said, you know, I, I had to like step it up this time. And every night he would just perform, and it was like Jesus, like he didn't. If it, even if it was a room that was half the capacity, he would just bring it. And I think that was quite inspiring for me because Absolutely. I think subconsciously sometimes some, sometimes they're like, okay, we're playing a festival. Like, we really have to work hard, guys, and we really have to, like, nail this. It's like you have to have that mentality for every show. Otherwise, what are you doing? Like, it's got to be equal. You've got to be – every single person in that room is no different to the people that are at Splendor. You know, they're all there to, to, to see you kind of wear your heart on your sleeve. And so that's something I learned and just seeing different performers in Australia really like just step it up. Tell me your first, both of your first concerts ever, like the first show you ever saw live. Oh, I think mine's not that cool. I mean, that, that is what we're here for. I'm here for the embarrassing. Was, I'm here for the real. I think it was either Christina Aguilera or Avril Lavigne, which in hindsight, that's, I'm like, that's Avril amazing. Lavigne, her, her second album is an album that I go back to now and I'm like, this is so good to <laughs> yeah. me. I'm like, these songs are awesome. So, yeah. And Christina, but what did you, how old were you when you saw that show? Oh, I don't know, maybe 13. You must have been so cool, Liz, with all the kids at school to go Christina Aguilera. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it was. I don't, I mean, I don't think it was cool. It was just yeah. like... <laughs> oh come on, Christina no, was. Oh wait, no, Britney was definitely. I, I know, especially at the time, Britney was definitely cooler. But Christina yeah, was yeah. like loved after Beautiful for her her voice. Totally, you, like you could take yeah. her seriously. Yeah. But in the beginning, she was all like in the boxing ring in those weird dreadlocks. Do you know that? <laughs> yeah. music video? No, I don't know what that's when, <laughs> when she did genie. When she did genie in a bottle. Yes. She was like more low key than Britney Spears, so I I remember liking her because everyone yeah. loved Britney, and I was like, I'm going to go the other I'm way, be it's like liking the yeah. you know the other Hanson brother or whatever. It's yeah. like that vibe. <laughs> the other Hanson brother. Oh my god! The other day, I'm not. I'm going to tell you this, but the other day, do you remember JTT and Devon Sawyer? 
are those like hot teen heartthrobs <laughs> that either of you knew? Do you know, am I too old? Oh, wait, was he one of the guys? Was he one of the guys on like Home and Home, home Improvement? Improvement? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my. He was hot. Yeah. Guys, okay. So I have to say, there was like two teen heartthrobs, <laughs> the same dichotomy as like Britney or Christina, JTT or Devon. But this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm old. So this is going back to like when I had posters on my wall. And Devon Sawyer liked a tweet I was mentioned in. And I swear to God, I didn't know what to do. It was the biggest moment of my life. <laughs> biggest moment. And then I unfortunately had to Google, where is he now? And then my world oh my imploded. Don't, so basically, the, oh. don't, don't Google your teen idols. Don't, just oh, don't. No. Just don't do. Guys, that was such a good Poor harmony. Devin. Oh, no. Oh, no. Where's Devin Sawyer? Devin Sawyer. Uh, no, he's like, yeah, I'm definitely anyway. going to Google. Just Google him. He's from like Casper with Christina Ricci. You know, he, oh. that guy was the best. Uh, he yeah. was cute. He was really, so I, yeah. again, I didn't go, like going the Christina route, I went the Devin route, not the home improvement guy. Um, and landed yeah, no, up I here. Yeah, I would go down that route too. Telling the story. Hey, he does. He looks later. quite nice now. He doesn't. I mean, he looks a bit like Eminem. I don't know. I don't know if you like <laughs> if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> if that sort of thing is your Lovely. is your snack. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm I'm full. Not kind of my snack right now. Pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Are you looking at a calendar full of great events but struggling to find tickets? StubHub's gotcha! Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So head on over to cosradio.lv slash StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. My best show was Kylie Minogue. Oh my god, that oh, is yeah. amazing! What told you? I think you? I was about ten. I was about ten, and my mum's best friend um, took me and her daughter. Rach was probably about eight, and I just remember going, and there was just all these people dancing around in latex, in like <laughs> nurse costumes with big, like, um, oh. I don't know. They just had it was just like very sexy, and I was confused. Yeah. Um, as to what what was going on, but it was great, and she is awesome. But yeah, I just remember like being excited, but also a little bit scared. <laughs> yeah, but uh, what? Because that latex, like you just don't know what it can do. It also like has a sound, like when people wear yeah, like, plasticky well- pleather. I just there's something like in my like my my left eye and it's like doing it now. I've been talking about it, like twitches. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what is going, what is going on? Yeah, all the dance, all the dancers, all the dancers had like really big needles as well that they were carrying around. Oh, and, no. Yeah, that's awful. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so obviously, but and weirdly, you both saw very prominent female singers as your first shows, which is kind of that's that's it's a big it's a big thing to see that, especially as a young woman, when you're watching these women, you know, so successful and just giving it their all. Do you feel like that? that sense of live performance did it did it do anything for you at that time like just thinking back now do you feel like it made your love of music grow or have you always been able to look at live music versus you know listening at home on your vinyl or whatever um have you been able to separate that Mm, for me like thinking back to those massive concerts I think it was so incredibly hard to imagine myself in that position because of how like you know literally how far away I was from the stage and not even possible probably but I I remember always thinking like seeing Avril Lavigne playing guitar like at that show I was like oh that's sick like she can play guitar and that was a big thing for me seeing girls play guitar because it just wasn't common then and playing drum like I, I barely saw female drummers but yeah, just seeing women playing instruments was a big thing for me that was quite inspiring. You have such a huge social media following, which I think is 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 the wonderful aspect of being in the music industry right now is that you can have that one two step toward your fans. You know, you you are an arms arms reach away from from the people that actually listen to your to your art. But do you feel like that leads a little bit to almost intense interactions when you're out on tour? Like how much of the social media life bleeds into your tour life? Well, I guess for me it it changes, but at the moment I'm pretty much the social media person. Okay. And I'm doing everything. So I do find that I need to like limit myself sometimes because um, it is such a thing and looking at my phone and being around my phone is probably like most people is, it can be difficult, but, um, yeah, I, I have such conflicting feelings about social media. Some days I'm like, I hate this. And then other days I'm like, you know, this is really good, but realistically it's, it's the, it's a, it's a tool that we need these days and you can't pretend it's not, you know, it's just so effective and you can, talk directly to your fans which is amazing and I think that's something that Hannah and I have done uh so much more with this album and we literally we really didn't do that before like we the interaction on social media with the last album wasn't anything like how it is now and um responding to fans more and just talking to them and and it's been really nice and I I love that part of it and there is a bit of a crossover like it shows you know people you've spoken to on social media or we have like a band phone as well that you know people can text and you know I I have the phone and I'll write back but I've met a couple of people that have texted me and I've remembered their names and you can just see that it it means a lot to both of us because it's like you like the music and and care and and I care about you guys too because you know we we wouldn't exist without a following um and people that connect connect but yeah Liz is, is great with social media I I really struggle like I'll be, I'll post something and then I just feel 
anxious or I just will be looking at light. I'm like looking at lights. I'm like, why am yeah. I looking at lights? Who <laughs> because am I? it's the algorithm. It's hard. Into like, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, but I, I like that we are talking about it because I also think that it's so often broached as a topic like, oh, yes, social media is bad, close book. And the truth is, is that especially yeah. as a musician or as somebody who's in the public, you know, people can find you online, but then they can actually approach you at a show. And there's always boundaries that are needed, um, especially being a yes. woman in music. But you always need to make sure that that line is drawn between yourself and social media and between social media and your work. And there's so many different pockets of that experience that I think it's unhealthy to just think, oh, well, this is all fine. I think that th there's so much good that can come out of it. But obviously, you have to be so careful almost of how, you know, like you said, Liz, how, how often you're on it, how much you, you care to you, Hannah, obviously looking at like likes, I'm exactly the same um, because <laughs> I never get any. And I'm just like, okay, I'm just shouting into the <laughs> void because I'm so shy to Twitter. I'm like the worst. And Instagram is, feels much easier. It just feels like a you know, an easier place to be because my brain works mm. in pictures. So what shifted then from feeling like you could communicate more from the last EP to now? How what 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 was that turning point in terms of how comfy you got on social media? Look, honestly for me, I think it was just a matter of growing up more and having more mental space to cope with it and like to put time into it uh, I think with the first album we did we were so exhausted and we toured really hard and you know some some of the things we did weren't you know it's the first time we did them and it was like exhausting and overwhelming <clears throat> and I know at that time I was very um I I was quite anxious and you know I'm just it's been a while since then and I feel so much more I feel like a completely different person and I have more space to engage in that way. Whereas before, you know, I just didn't feel like I had the time or the, the mental space. And I think, you know, just realizing that, you know, we'd, we'd left three years between releases and, and when you do look at it as like a band that we are, you know, it is, we, we did have to like, come to terms with the fact that we, we may have lost momentum and we were coming back with a record that was completely different and it was a lot more bold and, you know, we were going to lose fans possibly. And, you know, we were willing to take that risk and we wanted to do that because it's, we just wanted to be authentic. And, you know, I think that um, I, I've gone into it going, okay, we're going to have to push this album a bit more than we ever have had to before because mm. we we might we might need to. And, and, and there's no shame in that. I'm like, you know happy to do that but um yeah I, I would say that our relationship with social media before this album was mine was just very like I didn't care as much at all really yeah <laughs> well also because you you worked with Aaron Dessner on your, your debut right that was that was something you know that was a big standout I remember in reading about the band and yeah, yeah that, that was the debut two, yeah okay. 2015 yeah He's so wonderful. I had him on the show a, about a year ago. I can imagine also working with somebody like that. If you are starting out like that, it's such a privilege, you know, to yeah. share that, which means that, as you said, taking a little bit of a break between 
it's always seen as, you know, what are they doing? Why are they taking a break? And, you know, it sometimes takes, like, look at the Pixies. Like, they didn't do anything for 10 years, mm. but, like, tour their old stuff. Yeah. It was genius. It was, like, it was so clever, <laughs> yeah. you know. So do you feel like working with him as well was, uh, could could help in that respect of kind of just letting you know that you are, if you could work with him in that debut phase, you can take those three years. Not that the two are connected, but did did that help at all? It was more that we just hadn't had time to, I guess when Annie left, like we just needed to come together and figure out what we wanted to do um, and who we were together as a duo. Um, working with Aaron was incredible and it was, but I don't think it was just the fact that we worked with him that was overwhelming to an extent. It was just that going from singing in a pub to three people to making an album with Aaron Desner and touring for a pretty extended time overseas was just a lot. And we weren't, I don't think we were ready. I would say as well, like for me with Aaron, it like you said before, it was very much like a crash course. I don't think I had one moment during that time that we made the album where I was genuinely like, like not overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> and, so you and were, you were a rigmarole. That, that's what you were, a yeah, rigmarole. Exactly. <laughs> My brain was a giant rigmarole. And it was just, it was like working with your idol. Because I literally, our manager was like, who do you want to work with on the album? And I made a list of dream people to work with, like as a joke. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is the, this is the, the dream. Let's do this. The first person on the list, list was Aaron Dessner. Wow. And so okay. our manager just, just reached out to him and, and he was interested and it was just like, are you fucking serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Should be careful what else oh you put God, down on paper. Not. Can you give me money? Put down Leo needs <laughs> one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I've tried. Uh, I've actually tried since. Yeah. Summer, so. <laughs> <laughs> to do some voodoo. But I mean, it is it is wonderful, especially as you said, getting to tour around. Do you have a, uh, I don't want to ask about the, the favorite place that you've toured, but is there a show outside of Australia that you've played that really has stuck to your mind that really felt like either this is the worst thing that's ever happened or wow <laughs> this is you know this is this is really where I'm meant to be we played um Gentleman of the Road in New Jersey okay and <laughs> and it was like incredible so we we opened the festival and it was just like on the beach and the gates opened and we were sound checking and all these people just running down the beach, like tripping to get, you know, to a good spot to see the Flaming Lips and Mumford and Sons and stuff. But we were just yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And then so we played and it was a great show. And then afterwards, um, Marcus Mumford said, you know, would you girls like to sing harmonies for, you know, this Bruce Springsteen cover that we're going to do? And I love Bruce Springsteen and I was just yeah. overwhelmed that we were even, you know, doing this festival with Mumford and Sons and and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is my favorite song. Got so excited, had a couple of drinks. We went on stage and um it was Liz and Annie and I singing harmonies and I like put my mouth right up the microphone because we were told that we should do that because it's gonna not be very loud. Yeah. So I'm like <laughs> belting these harmonies and then slowly I can just feel like Liz holding the back of my shirt and like pulling me pulling me just slowly off the microphone and I'm like looking at her I'm like what she's like 
smiling at me. She's like, just being here. Anyway, <laughs> realized afterwards that my microphone was so much louder oh, no. than Marcus's. And I remember looking at I remember Marcus was there and kind of looked over as oh, soon as no. we started singing. And I was like, that's weird. Like he must be enjoying happy that me. we're doing so well. <laughs> And Mark, our, our friend and bass player, uh, was filming out the front and he showed me afterwards and I was just mortified. Oh just like, I'm so loud. Oh, it was the worst. Like, oh, but I mean, that's, I that's also it. to the sound person who should have turned the mic a little bit lower, right? Maybe the sound person <laughs> yeah. was like, had a thing for the Mumford and Sons guy <laughs> and he was like, fuck this guy. I want her to sing. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh. I love that like your oh, way was, was so to funny. pull her shit like like just gently oh like I, like a toddler like, it was like a really slow pull and yeah. just the, like the fact that she said she turned around and I was smiling like, yeah you just imagine it like everything's all good but just get off the microphone <laughs> like nobody panic funny. I'm still smiling yeah oh god yeah. that's so wonderful oh. but I mean stuff like that happens all the time and there and I'm sure honestly if you if you had to speak to anybody who was at that show I can tell you they probably didn't even realize they were like oh yeah this is exactly he wanted to give her a moment (laughs) (laughs) this is exactly (laughs) what was meant to happen so generous yeah Yeah. oh god that's so great how often do things like that happen not uh, not as such but things take like go wrong Oh gosh, we like we have had some hilarious things happen, and, and like we've already said this, but we we toured really quickly and we did things really quickly, and I think Hannah's right. Like we weren't necessarily ready um, for a lot of things, and we hadn't. We were just thrust into this this machine of like go go go, do this, go there, and it was just really touring was really new to us and you know we had a few times we're just like you know there was this one show where we had a sound person who had never done sound before but we didn't know that and we didn't realize oh, that no. and um yeah like you know sent in a fake resume oh wait <laughs> we got wait, we got wait you were you were catfished you were catfished yeah yeah, um, yeah. that's it oh. catfish yeah. Punk. It was just like, he said that he's done sound for Prince. Back. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. He did sound for Prince. <laughs> yeah, he and that. he so he picked us up from the airport, and like the way to my heart is like food and wine, and he'd rocked up in this like <laughs> van with heaps of chips and like a bottle of Bab Blanc and cups, and I was like, guys, this is awesome. This is like how it's meant to be. <laughs> And then, and then when he was driving us to sound check, he said, "And now we're going to go to rehearsal." And we were like, "What's rehearsal?" What's, yeah. Like anyway, there were just a few red flags. And then yeah, during the show, which was a pretty important show in the UK, um, like it was just inaudible. That's the most ridiculous story, guys. Where's this guy now? And when did you... Obviously, you found out during the show, which is so bad because you can't, like, climb over people. I mean, I guess you could, like, crowd surf to him wherever he was, like, at the board to to kind of punch his eyes out or something. But how... What what did you do afterwards? Well, our manager let him go. Oh, Um, I mean, I I would hope so. But but he said to Liz, like... so. 
we let him go and then he had to like drive us back to London. And he said to Liz in the car, he said, um, Liz, just remember, it's not, what did he say? <laughs> he said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I, oh no, that's not what he said. He said something like, oh, yeah, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I was like, okay, this applies for many things. <laughs> But not with sound. Not with sound, buddy. No, 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 no. Yeah. And do you so know, I understand the, in you know, some context, but not yeah. this one. No. <laughs> the, most messed, the most messed up thing is that, like, he went on, and I won't mention names, but he went on to Guitar Tech straight after us for a band, for a guitarist. Like, he, he basically just has this, a voice and a guitar. It's his performance. So the guitar is a big part. Um, to guitar text for this guy and he doesn't even know how to he didn't even know how to ch- he asked Liz how to change strings no. and he had this like little tuner and he was like I've got this little tuner that I'll that I'll use and it was like a three dollar tuner yeah like wh- who is this guy like <laughs> it's just incredible but wait so what so he's like working in the industry now and you have not spilled the tea you haven't exposed this this horrible monster who's like parading as well, a guitar tech <laughs> Look, he wasn't a monster, oh. but he, it was it was like crazy how far he'd gotten from not actually knowing anything, like having any having the skills like that it takes years to develop, you know, to do those yeah. jobs. Like it really takes such a long time, and to get to the level of where he was, it was amazing. I don't know where he is now. I have absolutely no idea. But you well, know, this I'm is sure a PSA. He's guitar taking for someone. Yeah, right now. <laughs> this is a I'm PSA. Sure, yeah. If you're listening. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> Give me chips yeah. and drinks, but stop what you're doing. You know what? He's probably really good as like a, bu- a bus driver, like a tour, a t- you know, for a tour. He's yeah, probably he's like good, really good he's at a that. Good tour manager. Yeah. Oh yeah, my god. Good tour manager. But you know what? That saying "it's not what you know, it's who you know" is such a bizarre. Uh, identity yeah. that people have assumed and I definitely think after living uh, in America for a few years now I definitely think that definitely rings true in some circumstances but mm, yeah. I certainly don't think it when it comes to I, I, I just feel terrible because we all have these like <laughs> imposter syndrome and then there's this dude like who could just you know get any job it just, it just makes me feel so sick yeah. I like I want to laugh but I also want to cry I want to laugh cry I want to maybe yeah. eat a lot of ice cream you know and my feelings yeah there's a lot of crying <laughs> you know crying. I, I had to I have to applaud him but I'm also terrified yeah the fact that that he that he, that he could feel like do that but I also am like gosh you're like literally fearless you have no fear yeah, it's like a bit of a like psychopath. A, someone being a sociopath. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Like, yeah, don't applaud him. You <laughs> yeah. know, they always say, like, never name somebody crazy. But, like, yeah, that guy's a, a lunatic. Yeah, he's he's a yeah. wild man. But so, and tell me, uh, I don't want to make, like, a blanket statement, but, like, what do you need in order to perform? And what do you need on tour with you? Because, you know, flying from Australia is no small feat, you know, and flying around and being jet-lagged and with the same people all the time. So what do you each personally need in order to make sure that you're taking care of yourselves, um, that you are at the prime and really, you know, able to perform every night? For me, it's like, preparation is really important um in order for me to have confidence on stage which is 
the main thing, I guess, for me. Um, and, you know, just having everything organized, I think there's nothing more stressful than realizing that, you know, nothing's been locked in and there's a problem with the hire car service and there's this and that. It's just like, as long as there's enough time just to make sure that, you know, it's going to be as smooth as possible for the band to reduce that stress of, you know, upon the, the fact that we're going to be playing a show every day as well as traveling. I think, you know, that's a big one, but also just I think making good decisions, like going to bed at a reasonable hour, not having late nights. Um, I meditate, you know, sometimes twice a day. Exercise is really important and just eating well, like just all the, the usual ones, which everyone know, but they're kind of hard to stick to on tour because, yeah. you know, you are jet lagging. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so how do you find to, how do you get that space then? What do you make sure, like, do people around you know, like how do you communicate with them that that's what you need? Or do you feel like everybody at this point just gives you that space, you know, in order to meditate or in order to eat well and things like that? Because I, I often wonder how much communication goes into that as well. Because with family or close friends, sometimes you don't even need to say much. You just know what each other need. Yeah, I think Liz and I are pretty good at, um, you know, being aware of each other and encouraging each other, you know, to eat well or to, I don't know, I think we're all aware of each other, but it doesn't get in the way of anyone having fun or doing what they need to do too. I think we kind of just, there's an element of taking care of ourselves and just no one being offended by the fact that maybe someone doesn't want to come to lunch with you today or, you know, to stay in the dressing room while everyone goes out to get, you know, a pre-dinner snack or, sorry, pre-show snack, pre-dinner snack some food. <laughs> I'm starving. I'm sure you are both hungry too. Yeah. yeah. No, but absolutely, yeah. that makes such a difference. It's definitely much, very much like we've all done it for so long now that we – it's just like a, it's so easy. You just, everyone just does whatever they do and there's no judgment. It's, there's mm. nothing. It's just so clear what it's like touring and, and yeah, it's, it's just bit having done it for a while. Yeah. So what do you find is the hardest part of it all then? The exhaustion is the main thing for me mm. at least where it's just, that can just lead to so many different feelings and, um, just not having enough time to like do those things at hand to like self-care things and just, you know, eating well is so massive on tour for me. Um, and yeah, not getting enough sleep and also drinking. It can be really hard to not drink after shows and yeah. yeah I feel so. the same, just being, being tired because it's just a gateway to like feeling shit about yourself and, you know, the negativity can take over um, when you, when there isn't enough awareness, when you're like tired and you're kind of, you kind of a more mind identified then instead of being able to kind of separate yourself from those feelings and emotions that come with, with touring. Mm. And knowing what your body needs. Yeah. 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 It's hard as well when you don't like if the tour is to a schedule is really tight, which it usually is. It's like, it's hard to change it. So if you're exhausted, you don't really ever get like, it's not like you can change that. So yeah, mm. that's probably the hardest thing is when, when you don't really have an option to go to go and have a nap or something. Yes. You know? Yeah. But you can't kind of it, fit it there's in no as much flexible. As yeah. There's no space yeah. for you to, to insert like an hour nap or an hour walk. 
just to wrap up, is there a place that you feel you would love to travel to still and you haven't been able to yet or perhaps an artist that you would love to to collaborate with? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't really have, like at the moment, you know, I'll probably change tomorrow. I'll have some, some sort of idea that I'll chase secretly <laughs> yes. in my brain <laughs> but not tell anyone. Like, oh, you know, I want to go on Oprah. Or... <laughs> Um, like I I don't really have anything at the moment but I mean I'm just I think that's the thing for me I do tend to and always have been very much like what's going to happen in the future and what are who who are we going to work with or what am I going to do and I think for me I've just been trying to like do less of that which is weird but and maybe not necessarily that great but no but it's healthy it's healthy yeah I think for me it's like a balance of of yeah just trying to stay a bit more present and just be like cool with what's happening at the moment and and yeah like I'm so excited to go overseas again and I just really um really want to take in um Europe and the UK again because I think you know last time we were there it was a it was as as we explained to you it was a bit more intense than um <laughs> no what do you mean what are you talking really about <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah totally we didn't get as much time and I don't think I was in like a headspace as well to like take in things as much as I want to this time so I'm just really looking forward to to going over there again and just really absorbing it all. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already again for listening to this week's episode here's a little reminder that StubHub is the best place to score the tickets you need whenever you need them backed by their 100% fan protect guarantee StubHub has the seats you want at the price you want to pay and they're never sold out so you can score tickets up to the last minute head to cosradio.lv slash StubHub that's cosradio.lv slash StubHub, and then enjoy the show. Consequence Podcast Network.